Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. On this episode, I'm going to be expanding on some of my previous comments dealing with Molinism and its use of feasibility. So if you appreciate this content or any other prior content, please consider becoming a sponsor. You can click on the Become a Sponsor link on the blog at freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com or you can follow us and sponsor on Patreon. Either way is a great way. Also, if you uh, appreciate the content but aren't able to or don't want to or don't care to or whatever, if it's not the feasible world in which you do so, uh, where you're not able to support financially but still want to uh, prop up the show, I would greatly appreciate if you head on over to iTunes uh, and give a rating and a review. We always love five stars. Uh, Thank you for Reformed161, who said that this is the podcast that has been missing from his feed. He writes, I'm on a bunch of Facebook debate groups and I stumbled across this page. I'm so blessed that I did. It makes the questions I have so easy to understand, even easier than say someone like James White and answers questions I haven't found many others answer. Keep up the awesome work. That is, uh, I mean, that's that's a, a huge compliment. Uh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. Also, Bison uh, said the podcast is a breath of fresh air from explaining hard anti-Calvinist text to a deeper understanding of Genesis 1 and 2. This podcast is solid and worthy of listening in my top three theological podcasts to keep right on hand. Uh, right next to the Reformed Forum and the Kuyperian Commentary Podcast. Keep up the good work, Tyler Vela. Again, uh, awesome to be put among uh, those those amazing podcasts. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, uh, Reformed 161 and Bison, for those reviews. Again, if you would like to uh, help the show, please consider logging in and giving a rating and a review. I would greatly appreciate it. Also, as some of you know, I have restarted. <laughs> uh, I had dabbled in YouTube previously, but I've, I've kind of redoubled my efforts. And I'm going to be doing a um, mostly apologetics-related YouTube um movement, I well, maybe not movement in the broad sense, work, I don't know. Um, if you want to head over there and follow the YouTube channel, that's going to be mostly related to evangelism and apologetics um, with unbelievers. So I'm not going to be doing a lot of the, the biblical theological work and the ecumenical discussions about soteriology and, and things like that. I'm really going to have it focused on the apologetics work. So you're not going to find um, a lot of um, this this type of episode dealing with Molinism, although there is going to be, obviously, if, I, if I'm a guest on another show or something, I'll put it in one of my um, in one of my playlists dealing with my guest appearances. So it'll still be there as a, as a kind of a secondary video, but the only stuff that I'll be publishing on there is really going to be related to apologetics and evangelism. So uh, if, you, if you appreciate the content here, why not head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe and share away. Uh, thank you again for joining me. Let's dive right in and discuss Molinism and feasibility. Enjoy the show. 
Metaphysics and the Failure of Molinism, part two, I guess. More problems with feasibility. This is, as I stated in the intro, an expansion of the prior work that I had done dealing with Molinism um, in the episode called uh, Metaphysics and the Failure of Molinism, which you can head back to uh, and check out there. I did one small section on feasibility. I got a lot of questions about it, so I decided to expand on it. A common statement among Molinists in attempting to defend their system is that some world may not be feasible for God due to the facts of creaturely freedom. Let me first try to explain what they mean and then ask my questions for someone who may want to make such a defense. For the Molinist, a major benefit of Molinism is their belief that it best handles the supposed problems of evil and suffering in the actual world, and or that it explains why God did not make a universalist world where all of humanity is saved or never sins to begin with to not need saving in the first place. So when someone makes such a challenge to the Christian worldview, the Molinist will jump in and attempt to defend God's having morally sufficient reasons for creating this world because human freedom is of such a high value that God would want to create a world with free creatures that possess it. This answer has one assumption and then one major application. First, the assumption is that human freedom just is libertarian freedom. This limits the kind of answer that the Molinist feels that they can give. For them, that freedom always that freedom allows for the possibility of people doing things contrary to what God would otherwise desire for them to do. They support this with certain readings of passages like 1 Timothy 2.4 and 2 Peter 3.9, in which they think the Bible teaches that God des desires every person without exception to be saved and not perish, so they need to explain exactly why God could desire none to perish and yet create a world in which vast untold numbers of people do perish. So they think libertarian freedom is the explanation for this. People do contrary to the thing that God would actually want to happen. But this assumption leads to another question. If God is omnipotent, couldn't God just create a world where everyone then believes? This question appears to them to violate libertarian free will, such that those beings would not actually be free in a non-trivial sense. They think that God doing that would be too deterministic and would remove libertarian freedom from humanity. This then leads to the application of their view. They want to affirm that God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent, and that humanity has libertarian free will. So the way they attempt to resolve the tension is to say that this is the best possible world that God could create given libertarian free will. Usually they call it creaturely freedom, but in concept they just mean libertarian free will. This should not be confused with best possible world semantics. They are not saying that this is the best quantitatively. There could always be more palm trees, as William Lane Craig likes to point out. They mean that if God wants to have genuinely free creatures, 
reading libertarian free will. And if God wants a world where in the final analysis, the most number of people are saved, then this would world may be the best possible world that God could actualize. Before I get to my critiques and questions, let me also add a feature of many Molinists believe as influenced by the world of Craig and Plantinga. That is the idea of trans-world depravity, that there is the possibility of persons who would not believe in any possible world that God would put them in. Craig uses this to try to explain the problem of the unevangelized, the Mayans, for example. There's an objection that God would be unjust in damning these people to hell for their sin if they never had the gospel preached to them in order to be able to repent and believe. Craig says that it may be possible that God stacks the deck and all of these people may be with uh, maybe people with trans world depravity, such that God knows that even if he did put them in the context where they would hear the gospel, that they would never in any context believe and be saved. From here, let me move into my critiques and questions. I'll try to flesh out some of the Molinist views and responses as this goes so as not to ex engage in a straw man. First, Craig, Stratton, and pretty much every Molinist I've ever heard address the issue define omnipotence as the ability to do any logically possible thing. Why can God not lie, not create a married bachelor, or not create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift? Because they're, those are all logically impossible and thus propositionally meaningless things. God cannot make a true contradiction without violating his own inviolable nature. Here, we are all in agreement. We would all reject, to my knowledge, a kind of voluntarism which would say that God could do anything logical possibility be damned. Yet, here is where I start to have several problems with the Molinistic metaphysic and feasibility. Let me lay out uh, some arguments here um, and, and to show why. <clears throat> First, let me give some terms. P is going to be a specific possible world. N, a number of people who freely believe. O, an actualizable for an omnipotent being. R is the real world, this world. G is foreknown by God. And A is actualized. So I give a uh, symbolic form of the argument in the blog post for this if you want to analyze the logic. But let me give the stated version. If P is possible, then it is possible for an omnipotent being to actualize it. P is possible. It is possible for an omnipotent being to actualize P. If P is actualized, then N number of people will freely believe in God. If N number of people will freely believe, then N will be foreknown by God. If P is actualized, then N will be foreknown by God. God knows that if he were to actualize P, then N number of people will freely believe. God actualizes P. P is identical to the actual world. The actual world entails N number of people freely believing. God foreknow N. So far, this argument should be rather trivial to the Molinist. Basically, it argues that for any possible world, whatever number of people that will freely believe if God actualized that world, that God would foreknow that, and that since the actual world is clearly a possible world, or else God couldn't have actualized it, that given God's actualization of it, God foreknows the number of people who freely believe in it. None of this is really debatable as far as I can tell. But there are implications of this that I think will plague the Molinist. 
Let's now run some various scenarios and see what happens prior to God. Uh, see what happens prior to God's actualization of the war, actual world. R, God foreknows n. For our purposes, let us now set n to a specific number of individuals equal to 15% of all humans that ever exist in the actual world, and let's call that number x. This means, 12, uh, premise 12, the actual world is possible. 13, if the actual world exists, then x will freely believe. 14, God foreknows that if he actualized this world, that x will freely believe. Now, this means that God has actualized the real world, and therefore X, or 15% of the people in the actual world, a number of specific individual people freely believe, and God foreknows who they are. Our human freedom is accounted for as a fact of R, and thus God's foreknowledge of X, or our creaturely freedom, does not alter the numerical value of X. This means that the logical possibility of X given R is not altered by the later consideration that human freedom would exist. Human freedom is already a given fact of X given R. This too is a metaphysically trivial for the Molinist. So far, I'm just describing basic modality and entails of logically possible worlds. But here's where the problem arises. Let's alter the settings a little bit from the previous scenario. Now let us suppose that prior to God's actualization of a logically possible world W, God foreknows N. For our purposes, let us now set N to a specific number of individuals equal to 100% of all humans to ever exist in the actual world, and let's call that number X this time. This means 15, W is possible. 16, if the actual world exists, then X will freely believe. 17, God foreknows that if he actualizes the world W, that X will freely believe. This means that God has actualized W, and therefore X number of people, remember 100% of the people uh, to humans who have existed in this actual world, will freely believe. And God foreknows who they are. Our human freedom is accounted for as a given fact of W, and thus God's knowledge of X, of our creaturely freedom, does not alter X. This means that the logical possibility of X, given W, is not altered by the later consideration of, uh, of that human freedom would exist. Human freedom, again, is already a given fact of X, given W. Notice that nothing in the metaphysics of actualizing W has changed from the metaphysics of God actualizing R, specifically in how human freedom is already accounted for in the fact that God's foreknowledge of X given R or W. Why is this important? Well, it means that there is a logically possible world that God could have propositionally meaningful knowledge about, then the freedom of the agents in that world is baked in already, so to speak, regardless of the number of people which are foreknown to believe. If, if this is true of the world which God chooses to actualize, then this will be true, true of the worlds that God could have actualized. Yet this is a strong refutation of the concept that some worlds are logically possible for God to have actualized, but are still not yet feasible for God to have actualized. 
And appeals to human freedom will no longer do it, given the argument above, because human freedom is already accounted for in God's knowledge of the supposedly infeasible worlds. If W were actual, then 100% of humanity, equal to the number of people in the actual world, will use their freedom to believe. The Molinist wants to say that given human freedom, it may be that God could not actualize this world because no human in that configuration would ever freely believe. This means that they are trying to say that W is not feasible because it may be the case that given W, that not X would believe or that X would not believe. Yet that just seems a claim too far, uh, so far that it merely moves the goalpost. We would need good warrant to think that given that definitional to W just is that X is true, given that X is just what propositionally demarcates W from all other possible worlds. That is, the Molinist is therefore saying that if W, then not W. That is, that W is logically impossible. But notice that no warrant is given for that. It is just that maybe people won't freely believe in that volume. But no reason is given and no demonstration of any logical incoherence is ever provided. For if God could actualize W, and one propositional fact that demarcates W from all other possible worlds is that X freely believe, the answer cannot be, it might not be the case that X freely believe in W. Because that's just to say that W is not W, which seems to violate the law of identity. Therefore, if God's omnipotent means that he can actualize any logically possible world, the Molinist must then show that W is actually somehow logically impossible and cannot merely state that what if or maybe, since W would follow the same metaphysical entailments with regards to God's knowledge that there is in the actual world. In fact, we can push this further. On Molinism, middle knowledge is God's knowledge of the counterfactuals of creaturely freedom or what agents would freely choose in possible worlds that are not the actual world. Let's consider the following question. Does God's middle knowledge include counterfactuals of creaturely freedoms of W? I've asked countless Molinists this question and always get the same answer. Of course, it includes the counterfactuals of creaturely freedoms of W. Why? because they're logically coherent and meaningful, meaningfully stated propositions of, logically, of logical possibility. The Molinist needs to then defend that God's middle knowledge is exhaustive of all logically possible facts, or else they would be biting the bullet and admitting that God's middle knowledge is not exhaustive and does not include all logically coherent and meaningful possibilities. This means that they need to affirm that W is logically possible while also arguing that it is logically impossible and thus infeasible. Here, the response will come that they think I'm confusing strict logical possibility with broad possibility or feasibility, but I'm not. For without some meaningful metaphysical difference between the two worlds, W and not W, even though they are identical in proposition, we have been provided no meaningful reason to think that some strictly logically possible world is not feasible for an omnipotent God to actualize, despite the fact that he foreknows the counterfactuals of creaturely freedom in that world in precisely the way that he does all other logically possible and even feasible worlds. 
To sum up, when a Molinist argues that some logically possible world is not a feasible world, I simply ask them, based on what? What makes it infeasible for an omnipotent God to actualize given the metaphysics of freedom and middle knowledge would be identical to the actual world and all other feasible worlds? That is, if the metaphysics of, of middle knowledge and, and of cre- counterfactuals of creaturely freedom are identical in W as they are in the actual world, why is it that suddenly freedom might make some other world that God foreknow their free choices unfeasible where it didn't make the actual world unfeasible? That's a major problem. Going back to Craig's use of transworld depravity, uh, depraved persons, uh, we could also ask other questions of the Molinist who thinks that this is a meaningful concept and answer to the problem of the unevangelized. There seems to be a potentially infinite number of different and distinct persons that God could have logically actualized. This entails that transworld depraved persons is a meaningful concept that or sorry, this entails that if transworld depraved persons is a meaningful concept, that there is a potentially infinite number of persons with transworld depravity. Yet this opens the question to transworld righteous persons who would freely believe in those same worlds, such that if transworld depraved person is a meaningful and helpful, then surely transworld righteous person is as well. And yet this would mean that there is a potentially infinite number of transworld persons that God could have populated any world with and thus could rather easily actualize any number of worlds like W, where all freely believe. Yet many Molinists say that the probability of this is extremely low. Yet if there is a potentially infinite amount of them, a number incalculably greater than the actual number of humans today— Why would a world full of them be extremely low? Based on what? A hunch? What is the metaphysically meaningful difference that precludes the possibility of the flip side of the same coin that they want to use? Now, I'm not trying to be condescending, really. I have great respect for Craig and Stratton and others, but I honestly just never hear any actual support for any of the feasibility assertions made by Molinists. I not only don't see why any logically possible world is infeasible for an omnipotent being to to actualize, infeasible becomes a synonym for impossible at that point, but beyond that, even if the odds are low, can God not actualize states of affair with low probabilities? Finally, it seems that this strategy of arbitrarily saying that these other worlds uh, use universal salvation are not feasible proves far too much and may provide all the rope needed to hang the usefulness of Molinism itself. For a long time, I posed this objection and would get a vehement opposition from Molinists. But recently, I've been vindicated as Molinist par excellence, Kirk McGregor, has bit the bullet and admitted my conclusion. Remember that Molinism is applied as an answer to the problem of evil and suffering, that given libertarian free will, a world with as much suffering as ours may be the best God could do with the goals of saving the most amount of people. Well, it seems to me that the atheist and skeptic could use their very argument against them for maybe, given libertarian free will, the world with the most saved freely may also have unavoidable gratuitous evil and suffering in it, and huge volumes of it. 
In the same way that God desires all to be saved, but all are not, it could be possible that God secondarily desires that all evil and suffering in the world would be redemptive, part of his plan, purpose, used for his ultimate good, have a morally sufficient reason for allowing it, etc., And yet, given libertarian free will, maybe such a world is not feasible for God to actualize. And so God has dealt a deck of cards where all feasible worlds just are worlds with gratuitous, outside of God's plan and purpose, evil and suffering, and lots of it. What rejoinder would the Molinists have for this that would not also be a response to their own feasibility argument? McGregor seems to have accepted this and recently has been defending that there really is gratuitous evil and suffering in the world, despite the biblical claims that God is uh, of God's sovereignty over all things and his working of all things for the good of those who love him. We could even push this envelope further to a kind of grounding problem based on feasibility. Maybe it be possible that The only feasible worlds for God to actualize, given libertarian free will, are free free actions of humans unknowable to God. Without appealing to simply brute tautological reason, God knows it in virtue of him knowing all things that so that cannot be, how would the Molinists avoid open theists using Molinism itself as a defense for their view? Remember, these are only some of the questions and challenges that I raise against Molinists. I've argued elsewhere against the notion that libertarian freedom even would suffice as a morally sufficient reason to allow the victimization of evil and suffering, that it causes problems for biblical concept of personhood, of anthropology, that it may actually entail open theism, theism, etc. And so I think before we even consider Molinism feasible, they must show that it is even logically possible. So far, I just do not see how that could be achieved given these and other objections. Well, thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker podcast. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, please feel free to email me at freedthinkerpodcast at gmail.com. Visit the blog, freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com, or, and probably most effectively, you can find the Freed Thinker group page on Facebook or find Freed Podcast on Twitter. Or, as mentioned at the top of the show, follow us on YouTube. Thank you again for joining. Good night and God bless.